check, 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 check. Music, please. So I did a thing the other day. I taught my sons, 9 and 11 years old, about their privilege. Yeah, I, you know, I think the, the wokeness culture, <laughs> I don't even know how to say it. I think it's the woke culture, the wokeness culture. I think it's excessive sometimes, honestly, but I think that sometimes for society to correct stuff, you gotta go excessive. You gotta jolt the system. You gotta go too far. I just hope things balance out a little bit. But along the way, man, there's a lot of good stuff that has come out of this sort of enlightenment. In my opinion, I know a lot of my conservative listeners would disagree. But bottom line is a white male straight guy like me and my sons, we do have certain privileges and I just wanted them to be aware. Now, why, you may ask, conservative listener, do you think that I'm privileged? Well, I can give you tons of reasons. One would be just some of my African-American friends. When we talk about certain situations, i.e. situations that we've had with police, we have very different, very different experiences. I won't go into them all, but I've learned firsthand about my privilege. Now, here's one, as, as much as I highlighted their privilege, I also felt the need, and it's unfortunate that I had, that, that there's a need to do this too. I said, do not be ashamed of being a white straight male. I said sometimes you're going to hear white straight male talked about as if, it, as if it's something negative and to be ashamed about. And I said, do not be ashamed. That's just, that is who you are. It's just wise to kind of know a little bit about how you two are privileged and you have privileges that other people don't have. So, hey, I before we get into all the fun stuff, I wanted to let you know some cool stuff. And one is that my team, my family, my comrades on the Pastor With No Answer uh, patron community, we have actually saved a young girl's life through DonorC.com. You can go to DonorC.com forward slash PWNA helps to actually read the story and see how we chipped in some change of the patron money to actually save a little girl baby's life. I mean, how crazy is that? So I want to also welcome as new patrons, my personal friend, Josh Whippy. I think you've been a patron before and you just, you just bounced on me or something. I don't know, but you joined back and I appreciate it. Zach upped his game and here's why I think Zach Madeira's upped his game. I think he's a really good listener because the patron perks for Pastor With No Answers is about to get a a big uh, jolt of improvement. And if you are basically giving $5 right now, you are going to be grandfathered into the lowest tier, which will be $8, but it's going to come with a lot of cool stuff, including some cool, cool t-shirts. 
not necessarily podcast related, just some different ideas. So we'd love to have you in the patron family. Lots of things going on that I won't go into right now, but also want to welcome Jacob, Scott, Mark, and Tim Chu. So you are reading the notes of this show, or you have, and you're like, Melissa Floor Bixler again? Can it be that we get her on Pastor With No Answers twice? I mean, you guys should be paying for this podcast with stuff like this. But then I think about the interviewer, and I think, nah, man, nah, this has to be free. (laughs) So she comes on here to talk about her new book that actually just released called How to Have an Enemy, Righteous Anger and the Work of Peace. We talk about this a lot, anger in the context of Christianity. We had Jamie Lee Fitch and Propaganda on episode 276, and Brant Hansen and Joy Micah and two. 93. We've had a lot of good discussions on this, and this is one more of those good discussions. But before that, Ellen Murrow, our new friend, Hayne Griffin, and I, we talk a little bit about some stuff. I got a couple of show notes when it comes to this. Let me give you a little background on how I do things with this podcast. So basically, a lot of these intros that you hear, they were all done in one sitting. And so I actually feel like I need to give you a little bit of context because there's some parts of this intro where Hayne and I just kind of out of nowhere say the word panties and panties this and panties that. And it sounds like we're just being super inappropriate and disrespectful to Ellen. But if you're a regular listener, you've heard some other intros of this podcast, and that will give that would have given you some context of why we're joking around about that word. But if you're listening to this in isolation, you'd be like, what in the world is up with those asshole perverts? And that's okay if you hear it that way also. But another show note is we talk a good bit about Mars Hill Ellen actually even says something along the lines of, man, you could have a whole podcast on this, i.e. Mark Driscoll and Mars Hill Church. Well, guess what? There is a whole podcast on that put out by Christianity Today called The Rise and Fall of Mars Hill Church. You need to check it out. You need to. It is a really awesome, well-done, put-together, produced product that highlights and, and what I would say is some very, very deeply rooted issues in the Christian church. And I think it would be, I know that it would be worth your listen. We actually had a commentary episode on episode 301 with Tony Jones, who is a personal friend of Mark Driscoll's, uh, Jack Hoy, who you're used to hearing on here. And I, we were former admirers of Mark Driscoll and then Ellen Morrow, who actually stayed at Mars Hill Church to the very end. So we actually talk a little bit about Mars Hill and Mark Driscoll before that series even came out. But I did want to point you in that direction because I tweeted about it the other day and some people have not heard about it and it is a great podcast to check out. I love you guys. I hope everything is going well in your lives. Check this out in Charleston today. I got a pop-up on my phone and it said that the carriage companies, by the way, it's a very historical city and we have these carriage companies, these horse and buggies that take tourists around to show them the history of Charleston. They have actually shut down today because of the heat. It's so hot here. It's dangerous. It's dangerous. It's crazy hot. It's crazy hot. And I'll be honest with you. Charleston would be maybe a perfect place to live, but it is too 
freaking hot, man. Like the only time I've ever been exposed to him. That sounded really I was waiting for No, it sounds fitting. <laughs> <laughs> the only t- the, my only real exposure was in he was supposed to come speak at a church planning conference I attended. Now I'm not a church planner. I considered it at one point in my life. Yeah. Dodge the bullet. Dodge the bullet. Yeah. yeah, no doubt. He was supposed to come and speak. And he did not, but he, this was kind of a hot thing on the internet when it happened at this, this huge conference. I mean, big names were speaking uh, Bill Hybels speaking of another chump, you know, now that we know, but Bill Hybels was like the keynote guy. Driscoll, Driscoll played this video. It was like military drums, you know, duh, 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 and it was in a, it was in a graveyard. <laughs> it was washed out like saving private Ryan. The shutter was jacked way high up so he could see like spit coming out of his mouth, the particles and everything. And the whole thing was about, about men, you know, men planning churches, you know, this, this, that, and the other. And I'm sitting here. I have no idea who this guy is. And I'm watching it in a room, 50, 50 men and women. And it gets done. I'm like, man, this guy is this. I think this guy's an asshole. <laughs> but, I but 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 I didn't know anything about him, you know. And then Bill Hybels walks up on stage and has this moment where it, it, the lights are back up, the video's over, and he looks and he says, "I want every woman in this room to listen to me. You are worthy. You are important." I. I started to cry. Uh, was Driscoll there? Just, it, oh, no. Gotcha. But Driscoll found out about Hybels doing that and created some type yeah. of Twitter yeah, online I remember war that, but over oh, I didn't know well, that. Well, now knowing what we know about Hybels, it kind of doesn't make that story all that Yeah, but still, at, but still, the yeah. life experience of a woman sitting there, like it, yeah. it, it, they right. needed to hear that no matter who it was coming from. You're right. I mean, absolutely, they did. Yeah, hands down. Ellen, you, you, uh, I, I know that uh, you and Priscilla think the world of each other. I think that, I mean, I don't know if this will be shocking to you or not, but Priscilla and I were so into Mark Driscoll. We had a woman pastor at Seacoast, the church we're at right now. She, her, and Priscilla were on a road trip to some conference or whatever, and Priscilla was going on and on about Mark Driscoll. Well, uh, Pastor Sherry basically said, "You like Driscoll?" She was like, "Isn't he like a?" Uh, a chauvinist and Priscilla was like, what are you kidding me? Like you must not have really listened to, I mean, we, it, it, I don't, I don't know if this is the case with all of those celebrity type pastors, but it's almost, it almost felt like a brainwashing and I don't, I don't know how else to describe it. When I lived in Seattle, we went to Mars Hill, but most of my consumption of Mark Driscoll stuff was through the podcast. And it's like now I think about the stuff that he would say, but back then I was just like, oh, yeah, it's he's cool. He's like, uh, he's really biblically sound. He's just joking around. He's just cutting up, and it, it felt like yeah. a brainwashing. It really did. And and coming out of a conservative evangelical context, where there was already a undertone of women being second class, yeah. at least in my my opinion. Right. Those kind of messages that he was throwing out, they, they're so sub, they're subversive. Yeah. You know, yep. they it, it's like 
you almost have to listening to it 10 years later. It's like, holy cow. Thank goodness we've evolved in some ways from that. But yeah. Yeah. And, you know, I, I was I was talking to a friend of mine who's kind of is in a different place and she is really on this. We got to teach kids, you know, the Bible and that we've got to make sure they're comfortable with it and, and knows this and that, and this and that. And to some degree, I understand what she's saying, but I, I said, look, here's, here's why I'm not there anymore. And here's why I'm, I'm, I'm a bad pastor, I guess. We taught these kids the Noah story with like these cute little pictures of animals and a rainbow and this dude dressed in white. Two male lions always walking up the the thing. (laughs) How's that going to work? Oh, good point. (laughs) Man, good point. point. Have y'all seen the little cartoon or or there's a little, uh, there's a little letter to Noah and it says, dear Noah, I could have sworn you said 5 PM and it says love unicorns. I haven't seen that, but I've seen the Lion King, so I know what a male lion and female lion look like. There you go. Yeah, but it's like we yeah. teach we teach these kids this story, and it's like, well, the Earth just got so freaking bad and sinful. He just had to start it all over and destroy everyone. Well, wait, but there's stuff bad in the world right now. Why doesn't he right. do that now? And I thought God was super. Lo- I mean, it's just like. I don't know how to do those stories with young children. I I don't I don't know right. if that's even somebody uh, told me yesterday necessarily a good thing. It, it might have been, I think it was somebody in our our little small group yesterday that we had. Somebody was like, <clears throat> I don't believe that the Bible is appropriate for children because it is so violent. There is so much despair. Their brains cannot compute. The tr- I mean, it's like if if you were to live through, you know, one day in most of the the Bible stories, you'd have tr- trauma. Right. Um, so yeah. I. It would make sense to start with the parables of Jesus. Yeah, with just Jesus. stick with Jesus, which is, uh, you know, you talk about like uh, I've just been kind of ruminating on Mars Hill since you brought it up and. How oh, I'm sorry. having to like. I always should be careful with bringing up Mars Hilly. I don't even think about it. No, That's no, like no. Triggering She's having PTSD, <laughs> no, no, Joey. No. It took me a long. Damn it, it took Joey. me a long time to. Because I was I was a defender of him for a long time, um, mm. because I was like, well, I never liked him. I always knew he was an ass- asshole. But God is good, and God is using Mark and all this. I was sort of like an odd bird in that way, but. Um, what I find myself unpacking now is this idea that your faith and your relationship with um, Jesus and your belief in him doesn't always have to be um, troubling. It doesn't always have to be so, Hmm. uh, so much work and so much um, like, it doesn't have to be so strenuous. I, I don't know what the word I'm looking for is, but it's like when I have finally started settling into this idea of like, whether we're talking about gender issues or um, different theology, no one knows. And my God is a God of peace. And I have a lot of peace doing the very, very principal thing that God, Jesus did, which was loving people 
no matter what. And that gives me peace. That's it. Right. And so I'm having to wrestle with this idea of like, I'm actually not struggling with my faith anymore because, well, I'm having to tell myself that, but because I actually feel really peaceful with with my faith now that I'm out of this Mars Hill kind of, I mean, it's not just mm. Mars Hill, obviously, but that was my experience for so many years was this Mars Hill idea of like, you need to force people to see it this way. Um, and you're going to be confused about this and that is on you. And that's because you're not doing enough. There was mm. no wonder. There was no peace. There was no teaching of like, when I say wonder, I mean, we talking about like if homosexuality is a sin or not, who the f- cares? Because mm. I, one, am not homosexual. And number two, don't know what, don't know what is a sin or not. And I believe that mm. God is so big and powerful and Jesus is so good and loving. And he does not use like anguish and well, I mean, also the Old Testament's really fucked up. I don't know. The point is, I feel more at peace with the Jesus that I'm coming to terms with, who never changed, by the way. It's just that how right. I how I how I thought I had to get to him and be peaceful with him was different. But now that I'm all about yeah. like, you know, just all the social justice issues, which I guess is like wokeism which is such i hate that term now because it's used used as a weapon but Mm. i'm just i'm in awe of the jesus that was like going under the radar that whole time at mars hill and mark was just everything up um (laughs) we could do a whole podcast about mark i could just do a whole podcast about mark i mean the, the way of jesus right now is not really adhered to by anyone Christians included. Now, obviously, I, that's right. a big over general, generalization because I know that some Christians are trying. I'm one of them, but I mean, you look what's public, it, what what it just seems to be on the outside. I mean, no one is taking that path of loving everyone, trying to be a uniter, and, well. and all that. But I, but I will say this, Ellen, that and this is not why I stopped believing in hell. That was through tons of theological searching and listening to other people. And Mostly Rob stuff. Bell. Mm-hmm. <laughs> no, no, actually I've never read Love Wins. I still want I to. But. I am still, still conditioned to think that Rob Bell is a her- like heresy because of Mark's teachings. And that's yeah. something I, ha- it's on like my oh. to-do list to unpack, but I'm still very yeah. like, very anti Rob Bell. Just my first response. <laughs> and I know nothing about the guy except for all the bullshit right. Mark said. Right. So, unfair. so let's, let's real quick. Let's talk about that word heresy. Yeah, I, I hate it. Yeah. To me, it, to me, it's a word created for herd control. Mm. It's mm. like we're we're, we're going to use this word. We're going to dub you this because you are now out of the bounds it's of like the herd. What do the Mormons use so that the rest of the herd won't follow yeah, you? Yeah, it sounds it re, it's reminiscent of unclean. Yeah. What is what is, right. what is unclean. the word that Mormons use when they tell someone that they're out of the like? You've become a unJosephness. No, there's a Pant, pantyish. Oh, okay. You 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 panty face. 
<laughs> There's a lot of people that are not listening to this I podcast ever again. I need either an adult like. in here or another woman. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, no. But no, yeah, no. I know exactly what you're, what you're talking about, Ellen. I have I have Mormon friends, Latter Day Saint friends, and you talk about herd control and the mind job and Lord, I mean, mercy, mercy. It's but I I feel like we also see it though in the evangelical churches that we. At least I grew up in. I'm guessing you guys grew up in similar similar spots, or have at least been involved in similar spots. It's this this need to out anyone right. that gets outside of what they deem is the lines, and villainize them, and villainize anyone that's, that's not in that space. And man, that is that's kind of makes you think about yeah. masks, huh? Yeah. <laughs> oh yeah. Ooh. Well, here, here's and uh, my my brother edits these episodes, and I I respect the hell out of my brother. And him and I were texting back and forth a little bit. He's he's converted to Ether Eastern Orthodox, and so I said, "Hey, I'm reading somebody of your own mm. who is a Universalist and is David Bentley Hart. It's a book called That All Shall Be Saved. Super unbelievably smart guy. And my brother is just like, oh yeah. Unfortunately, something I'm, I'm paraphrasing, but unfortunately for him, he was denounced as a heretic and not real and and we went i mean my brother and i can say whatever we want we're not gonna you know get bent out of shape but i was just like wow that's convenient i mean literally i think of a guy that is super smart like reading the bible and studying it just as innocently and sincerely as everybody else he comes out with it's very logical maybe wrong but it's very logical and they're like eh, heresy get the hell out of here I mean, yeah. it's just like, well, that first of all, that's no fun. And second of all, how do you know it's heresy? I mean, how, how do you know that's not right? right. That's the point. Is it, it's, it's faith. We yeah. don't know how this thing works. Ugh. It's similar to the, to the word bully in schools. Right. I don't doubt for a second that there's kids that get bullied. Yeah. But man, a kid, if someone says, well, so-and-so is a bully, it, it automatically, because that word has carried so much weight. Yeah. It's there's no uh, effort almost to understand the nuance of whatever. What is, has what is happened. it about theology that people are so like? When I say theology, I mean like what is it about like the categories or the the veins of theology that people rush to? Like for example, because I was at Mars Hill, I was like, well, I'm a Calvinist now, and then right. I had to figure out what that uh, meant after uh, the fact, hmm. but. Since getting out of Mars Hill, I'm a firm believer that if you say you're an anythingist, you're yeah. too far gone down anyway. Um, That's interesting, yeah. And so if someone really follows like one theologian or one uh, one theology, it just is like, isn't you're kind of not the the irony is that you're seeking but you're just kind of missing the entire point i do think that it feels really good to just have a lane have everything make sense have authors that you can read and say yes 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 which is what we were doing with all the esv and the john piper and all the wayne gruden bullshit and now it's like i love that i don't subscribe to a theology because he like after jesus i mean wasn't it just human error 
Yeah, and and that makes people mm. that makes people squirm because they're like, no, no, no. We need to have something that we all say is. Tr-. And I'm like, are you saying that theology is bigger than God? Like, are right. are you saying that human mm. language mm. and us as people can categorize and systematize God? Which is why like, I that is right. that's heresy. The word wonder, I I want to bring up the word wonder again, because it is the word that I keep thinking about with my faith, which is if God wanted us, I mean, he was pretty straightforward about a few things, I feel like, that are just like innate in us, like don't murder, don't cheat on your wife, that kind of stuff. If he wanted us to all be on the same page theologically, I just feel like it would have been more clear. And because it's not, that's a sign to me that we don't know. Just like homosexuality. Is it a sin? I'm starting to believe no. Uh, I'm going to go hard on no today. Um, Yes. But the point is we don't know. And isn't that awesome? Hmm. And that is wonder. Uh, No doubt. And it's not up to us to decide. We have these... All these people get together and decide what their churches are going to believe and what's a sin and what's not. And it's just like, oh, f- you. That is not how we do this. We leave some things up to the Lord. Uh, Joey, I was kind of bummed that I didn't get to, to even listen to Rocky talk today because, not that I don't love you, Hank, because I love you. But this Dang, woman. Man, that's going to hurt, dude. <laughs> Well, hey, this oh, woman bro- I'm gonna cry my panties. filmed a documentary. She's a documentary maker, and she uh, created a documentary about um, – there's this whole concept going around called 1946, the year that they um, created – was it the RSV? Yeah. RSV. And they translated the word homosexuality for the first time, sort of entered that into scripture. And obviously caused a lot of problems. And I'm really excited to watch this documentary. I don't know how much I... My husband watched the trailer and he was like, mm, seems pretty convenient that there's like just like one guy that disagreed. And that's why we're, this documentary was made. But, but my point mm. is like as humans socially, we want things to fit into our mold. So I think there is a lot to be said about the translations being like socially sort of like airing a certain way. That's yeah. why I'm really excited to watch it. Yeah. And, 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 and the question is back in the, is who translated it? You know, a bunch of old right. white conservative white guy. guys. Who do you think? Boom, 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 boom. Quick clarification as well. When you were, when you were talking about the homosexuality, I think I let out a big yes. And it was not a, it was not contrary to your no. It was an affirmation of your no. I, yes, I, I Lord. Hallelujah. Shit about Honda. And then, and then, and then for all the listeners out there, See, make it very clear. I'm sorry. <laughs> for all, for all you dear we listeners out there, make it really spirit, clear that. We're just blaspheming the Holy Spirit. <laughs> that if you uh, panties, Let's panties, <laughs> make it make it very clear, dear, dear listener, that if you meet Ellen and let them know that you're a dispensationalist, a Calvinist, an Arminian, in the back of her mind, all she's thinking is you're a dumbass. Yeah, <laughs> that's right. Until further notice, until I can get to it with my therapist. 
Oh, you guys, there's so much to unpack. There's so much church bullshit to unpack. And with, with what's going on with Mark Driscoll's church right now, what's coming out about the people that are being so hurt. And he has, he has, like, I was there on the very last day. I was there on the last day. And the man was given more grace than he should have been given. He was given sort of like a path to redemption. And he said, nope, peaced out, left, no accountability, moved to Arizona. And I am not surprised because abusers, if they're not held accountable, they will, they're, it, it's going to escalate because they've learned better. Now they, now he knows to not create mm. um, a system where he could ever be held accountable. Yeah. And that's mm. what he's done. Mm. And we should be praying mm. for those families in that church who don't know or are defending him or it's, it is years of undoing. And I just hope that these people recognize what's going on bef- before too long. Cause it's like, yeah, there are hundreds of people in Seattle that are literally in therapy because of this man. Right. Hmm. Yep. Hmm. Messed up. Yep. And, yep. and, and yep. some yep. pastors who I revere and I cannot stand this about them. They're just patting them on the back. Well, it's Mark Driscoll. Way to go. Atta boy. And it's, it's driving me crazy. Well, All right. We got a lot of good them. material. Well, that's too dualistically thinking. Everybody's jacked up about some stuff. There's certainly some things. Yeah, but you should take a position toward. You should take a position. I'll take a position of pushing abusers. back on that. For sure. For sure. But I mean, there's some people that don't. That don't understand. They have good intentions. They don't understand. But, sure, but yeah. I mean, like, if mm. there's like a well-known pastor and they're still loving on Mark Driscoll, then they are part of the problem. I agree, they're part of yeah. the problem. All I'm saying is they may not know. Then they're then yeah. they're idiots and shouldn't have a platform. Okay, it's been fun. All right, so this is something that we've talked about so many times on this podcast. We had um, episode 276, Propaganda and Jamie Lee Fitch. We basically, in this polarized culture we find ourselves in, we just asked the question, how, how do we love? And episode 293, there's a guy named Brant Hansen who basically wrote a, a book that says Christians aren't entitled to get offended or stay angry. And we had theologian Jory Micah here to provide some pushback. So I think about this stuff all the time because it really does seem like our our world is is heading into a position where it seems like there's just no coming back from it unless we figure out the love piece. And I feel as one, I, I feel like I as someone who tries to adhere to Jesus's teachings, it's, I know it's not easy, but when I see Christians that seem to be okay with letting go of loving your enemies. That's when I'm like, wait a second, we can't we can't back off of that. But I do also think that there's a possibility that Joey Svensson can be lazy potentially by just saying we just have to love our enemies. We just have to and and maybe I don't adapt 
to some necessary anger. But I, but I think because I'm so frustrated with the polarity and just the, the angry attitudes that I see on Twitter, it's like, no, nah, I want to be punk rock with grace and love and just stay there. <laughs> so I'm curious. You, so you wrote a book um, that's coming out in July still? Yeah, yep. Yep. How to Have an Enemy, Righteous Anger, and the Work of Peace. So what do you, I, I mean, I typically don't do this, but the write-up for your book is just so compelling. Jesus called us to love our enemies, but to befriend an enemy, we first have to acknowledge their existence, understand who they are, and recognize the way they are acting in opposition to God's good news. So in this book by Melissa Floor Bixler, looks, she looks closely at what the Bible says about enemies, who they are, what they do, and how Jesus and his followers responded to them. The result is a theology that allows us to name our enemies as a form of truth-telling about ourselves, our communities, and the histories in which our lives are embedded. Only then can we grapple with the power of the acts of destruction carried by our enemies and invite them to lay down their enmity, opening a path for healing, reconciliation, and unity. Oh my gosh, can we please all read, read this book? Oh my gosh. Do you, when, when you wrote this book, were you also thinking, because when I think of enemies, I think about close friends of mine that I, I don't have them in the enemy territory, but they are people that I've had to put into practice, love your whole enemies, because I feel like they personally wronged me. That's one kind of enemy. And then you have human traffickers. Like we all kind of see them as enemies. Hitler, we all kind of see him as an enemy. What what is your book trying to cover all of it? Yeah. So I think that you're raising a good question, which is what's the difference between people who I just disagree with? Yeah. Right. Like, and what it means to actually have an enemy. Um, and so pretty early on in the book, I want to have that conversation because I think that's all kind of going on in our minds. Um, and I think that you're, you're right that we, it's, it's actually difficult to pull those apart right. sometimes, right? We can see that um, there's something in like the, the feminist movement always said um, the personal is always political, yeah. right? That it's um, that you, you can't really, you can't really pull those things apart. Right. Um, but but I think that we the maybe the the element that I at least for the book for the sake of the book I'm not like going to speak for all time right. but for the sake of the book, um, what separates enmity from difference is power. Um, the power to take that difference and either control or harm or um, endanger someone else's life, um, their well-being, their happiness. Um, their fullness, their flourishing. Um, so really it's the, what I, what I want to say and what I think scripture says is that um, the thing we don't really talk about enough in church, we spend a lot of time on the interpersonal right. and we don't actually talk about, um, about power, about how power is structured in those relationships and in systems. Yeah. 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 That makes a lot of sense. So I, I was writing down some questions when it, when it, comes to this discussion and and I, this is the first time I've ever thought about this to to properly love your enemy because uh, you know reading up on this book Jesus named and confronted his enemies as an essential part to loving them once you love your enemies 
do they continue to occupy that space of being an enemy or does figuring out how to love them take them off of that position of enemies? Like, is it okay for someone who wants to follow Christ to say, they'll always be my enemies and I'll always try to love them? Or is that a cop out? I mean, I think that a lot of what you're kind of getting at is, is, you know, what does it mean to love, right? right? Like that. And, and I think you, you bring up some examples that I do that it's not, you know, Jesus isn't like this, Hey man, like, can't we all just like get along? Like, right. let's all hang out. And right. I'm, you know, I'm just going to love you by making you feel okay about your life. Like you're right. But it's this pretty consistent confrontation of people who are part of like horrific systems of exile and usury and, yep. and harm of the poor over and over again. Um, and I do think that there is, I, I do think that we need some discontent yep. with the idea of having enemies. Like, I don't think it's, um, I, I think what it means to love your enemies, maybe at a very basic point is just to want them not to be your enemies. Right. Like, um, like if you can't desire for them to be freed from their own participation in harming you yeah. like that, that's like, like, that's like a, like a basic, de- basic desire. And I think like even that sometimes we just need Jesus to fill that spot in. Like, right. um, I, I, like I'm a, I've, I've said before to people that I'm, I'm kind of an empathy skeptic. Right. Um, wow. I, I think we put a lot of like, um, you know, if you like, you really have to like muster up some feelings for this person. I can tell you, I do not have a single positive feeling for Donald Trump. Like right. I would not like my entire, um, attitude towards him is anger and frustration. I would even like go to rage. Right. Um, and that feeling does not cancel out for me, right. my desire for him to be freed from what I think is a, that he is just living a life of complete and utter destruction unto himself and others. And I don't need to feel anything for him right. to like, to what, like, yeah. So, so I think there's also something important here of not putting the emotional weight right. on people who have been the bearers of oppression Yeah. to like, to have to feel something. Right. 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 Like, like, we, it has to be more than yep. just getting my emotions yep. in the right place. Yep. Well, what you just said as far as like, what what does love actually, what does that mean? And oh gosh, it's it's just, it's it's a tough, it's a tough conversation. It's, it's really tough to process because again, I think so black and white and it's just like, we just have to love. I mean, did you not see, did you not hear Jesus on the cross after all they did to him? He says, father, forgive them. That's what we're supposed to do. Or that's, that's at least supposed to be our aim. Well, Joey, it's funny you say, I don't think I've ever thought about this before, but but it's interesting that there's a lot of times where Jesus forgives people, right? right? He, he is, you know, does the will of the father, blah, blah. And so it's really interesting that it's not Jesus who forgives on the cross, but it's Jesus asked the father to forgive. Oh, wow. And so, so it's just something, it'd be interesting to go back and read those narratives right. and, and to have perhaps to say that in this moment, maybe Jesus reliance on God, right? Maybe he was in a place where he could not, um, 
or where it would have been wrong yeah. for him to offer forgiveness. Yeah. Um, it would have been like a affirmation. And so only God could forgive wow. something like that. So I don't know. I'm yeah. just kind of thinking about that. Yeah, that's interesting. That's yeah. Odd. I've even thought, I mean, th- gosh, this, this is, this may just be so naive and unhealthy. Like I said, that's, that's what I typically do is I question myself and, and it, if I'm being lazy, but even when I see Jesus like go off at the Pharisees and calling them names and everything, I almost feel like, so I, I have four kids and there are sometimes I, I don't want to parent them in a way where they're afraid of me. I want them to naturally respect me as someone who loves and cares for them. But there will be some times where I'm like, okay, they just did a very kid thing, but I they need to know how serious it is what they just did because of a safety issue or, or, or what have you. And so I actually... I, I put on an act like uh, as far as like, this is very serious where I'm not angry. I'm not riled up. They're just being kids, but I want them to see how serious it is. I sometimes think when Jesus is going off at the Pharisees, it's kind of the same sort of thing. He's just like, these are dumb human beings. These guys are stuck in the law. And it's like the real heart is John chapter three, where we see just a chill dude hanging out with a chill dude that I mean, he's, he's one of the Pharisees and you don't see Jesus talking to him like that, but I don't know. I mean that again, that may be lazy for me to just be able to say, yeah, Jesus wasn't really riled up and angry. Cause then again, he did uh kick ass in the temple. So <laughs> it's, yeah, I mean, I think it is, it would be hard. I mean, you would have to, it, it would be, I, you know, this, the argument from silence. Right. Yeah. And I think it would also perhaps, negate one of the very human emotions that, that we feel that Jesus is also feeling, right. right? Which is anger and injustice. Um, and so I guess I also don't want to strip that away from Jesus, that, that indignation, because I also think it continues this myth that anger is somehow different than peace. Right. Instead of like, perhaps is like, um, I really like this quote um, by Beverly Harrison. I talk about some of her research in the book, but she talks about how if you can't be angry at somebody, like you can't, like it, it's like you don't care about them, right? right. Like it's like I'm, you're not even worth it to right. me, right? Like, like anger is actually the stuff of caring. Yeah. Like, yeah. like you're kind of like what you're saying. Like, like if you are, um, like to be, to express anger is like, actually makes it possible for us to learn how to be angry about the same things and to create communities that can resist the things that God is angry about. Um, and that seems like a really important thing um, for us as the church. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. I don't know. This is such a loaded question just to like ask and then expect you to move on. But I, where, where are you at with the afterlife and heaven, hell? Do you see a little more universally as far as what happens to everyone? And there's a reason for me asking that, but I'm just curious kind of where you're at with that. Yeah. I mean, I, um, I'm a biblicist. And so I believe that Jesus um, is the lamb that was crucified at the foundation of the world, that Jesus comes to redeem all of creation outside of time. Yeah. Um, And I have every hope that um, hell is empty um, because of that redemption. Yeah. 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 So I'm reading a 
book, golly, what David Bentley Hart that all should be saved. And it's like, it's, it, it is like, it's multiplying this conviction that I, that I have had now or a suspicion that I've had now for a couple of years. And it's, it's just, it's really like, oh my gosh, I think this is the reality. But I was thinking about how the traditional view of evildoers being punished forever I think that gets us caught up in, well, we're justified to do the same. Like if, if there's a justness in God saying they deserve to go to hell forever and ever, then why wouldn't we say, well, I'm going to walk in the steps of God. And I was sharing with a family member kind of where I was at theologically. And, and I typically don't drop the whole universalism bomb on them. Cause that's a lot to, to take in when you've never even really entertained that. But it was interesting because he immediately went to a personal situation where someone had hurt him and basically said, you mean this person's going to get off the hook. And I couldn't believe what I like, because this is someone that I really respect. And I was like, Oh my gosh, can they not hear themselves? Like they were upset about the prospect of there not being a hell because he wanted to make sure this person paid the price. But I, I really think that when you do believe in hell in that sort of narrative, it's kind of easy to, to fall into that. Yeah. No, I think that's, um, Working out of myself, the yeah. desire for the punishment of others right. has, has absolutely been the, the part of the journey that I've been on. Right. Um, and, and I think that you'll kind of hear that kind of echoing in the book and even in my activism, like this is really what the prison abolition movement is about. Yeah. It's about saying pe- we, people need ways to make reparation without punishment, right? right? Like, can we imagine a way to set relationships right um, for there to be accountability, for there to be healing without our, without thinking the only way or even the primary way to do that is by punishing someone. Right. Yeah. Um, and so I think that that will certainly be a theme that people hear throughout, throughout this book as yeah. well. Yeah, I mean, I think one of the... Um, what, what we would say in, in abolition work yeah. is that that punishment only reiterates the cycles of violence that that led to that harm in the first place. Yeah. Um, so it's not even as if we're saying, oh, you should just do this because it's the right thing to do. It's that punishment doesn't heal. It, yeah. It's, it's just it just harms. Um, and so. You know, I think that that is, um, I mean, my work is, uh, is a lot with women in prison. Yeah. Um, and some of them are, I think are in prison for reasons that make absolute, like it, it's just like drugs, right? Like, I don't think anybody should be in prison for drugs. I also know people who've killed people right. who are in prison. Um, and, and I can say that them spending the rest of their lives in prison does not keep us safer. It does not help their children and families and communities who they've left behind. It um, How does it, it not keep us safer? Just so I can understand that rationale. Like if it's someone who's killed someone. Well, this is actually a pretty interesting, it's a statistic again, but um, the recidivism rate, like the reoffending rate yeah. for murder is almost zero. Wow. Like most people 
most first degree murders happen because of a, like a girlfriend who you're in a fight with or you stole something because it was like in someone died in the process, but not a lot of people murder people over and over again. Yep. The only reason they're in prison is because of, because we want to punish them. Um, and it's, and it is sort of a misnomer that these people are unsafe for the rest of their life. Tell the story about this woman named Faye who um, died of coronavirus mm-hmm. in prison um, in her sixties. She went to jail when she was, 22. Um, she was in, she was sat in the back car while the person who was robbing a store shot and killed a police officer. She never held a gun. She was in jail for first degree murder and was originally given the death penalty in the 1970s. And she was just in the backseat of the car. So they just, they just said she was an accomplice. My gosh, 38 years in jail for sitting in the back of a car while someone else did something bad. Correct. So this is also to say most of the stories that we think we know yeah. about prison, about they come from cop shows, right? Like right. we think we get like this like murderous and and a lot of the time it's somebody stealing for drugs who yeah. like like get, like got into a car accident and killed somebody, right? Like so many of these stories, sort of as you're saying, even about sex traffickers, it's hard to imagine just being like, oh, and and none of this is saying, oh, we just sort of like need like, like there's no consequences yep. to this, right? Like there's tons of consequences. Like there are all sorts of things that we need to do to to like figure out how to make that situation um, to move towards healing, right. to move towards justice. Um, but sitting in a cell and event and dying of COVID um, is, is not, is not the answer. Right. When you say, uh, a theology that allows us to name our enemies as a form of truth telling about ourselves, our communities and the histories in which our lives are embedded, like what sort of the, like what's the anchor of that theology? Where does it start? Okay. Yeah. Um, well, you know, I think, I, I mean, it really, I think in that, it seems very, very obvious, but if Jesus is to love your enemies, right. you have to have enemies, right? right. Like it, it seems, it seems like an obvious thing. And yet I hear all the time, um, especially in Anabaptism, I'm a Mennonite, so yeah. we're pacifist. So people get really uncomfortable with having enemies. <laughs> so this, this, you know, my, my own community is sort of in mind as I'm thinking about this, writing this book. Um, but, but really, if you don't know who your enemies are, if you haven't done the sort of assessment work of your life, um, or if you live in such privilege that you cannot even imagine having even enemies by solidarity with other communities, that seems to be counter to sort of what the narrative that Jesus is giving us, that there's something real harm is assumed in that, right? Like real degradation, real violence is ha- is ongoing. And then you have to figure out as a community, those words are spoken, you know, to a large crowd of people who are the people who represent the reign of God, yeah. right? Who yeah. have the reign of God in their midst. The, the, among those oppressed people, what does it mean for them to withdraw themselves from the cyclical violence of the, of the, of the Roman empire? Yeah. Um, 
So Jesus gives a couple examples, right? He's like, and they're both examples from the Roman garrison. Um, if you, um, who else gets to slap you across the face and you're expected not to respond, right? right? Who else can steal your clothes or go live in your home or lay claims to your, um, to your spouse? Like only the Roman garrison. So when this book comes out and people purchase it, like after they read it, Melissa, how, what's, what's your ideal scenario as far as something mentally to adapt a certain conviction to acquire a certain way of of living your life like how do you want people to change having read your book because you obviously wrote it because you were passionate about something yes um well well something that i think is that I think is important and it's just a question that we're asking right now as yeah. a church is what do we do with the fact that like all these people call themselves Christians and like right. some of the like very basic things about human dignity and flourishing and just don't seem to be on the same page. And um, it's both sides. It's both sides. It's the progressives, the conservatives. It's insane. It yeah, there's a lot of like um yeah, a lot of sense, I think, of disunity. And oftentimes, especially in my tradition, what unity means is just sort of like making space for all of the ideas. Like, like can't like we just come to church on Sunday and like we just do our best to get along. And I would really love for us to shift us back actually towards Jesus. Um, for whom they're the, the way we live our our whole lives get enfolded into the gospel, right? Um, there isn't sort of this sense of, oh, well, you know, Matthew, you can just keep being a tax collector and like keep stealing from the poor in right. Jerusalem and that's right. totally fine. And um, you guys can just keep your jobs and, you know, it, when you feel like it, come check in with me. Like right. there's this really radical reorientation to the reign of God that um, shifts people's social and economic systems, how they relate to one another. Um, and that's going to feel offensive to people. The idea that um, of black dignity is going to be offensive to people. Um, the, and and we also have to make room for difference, sort of that first question we talked about. Like, and so how do we discern for ourselves what is the limits of our difference? Like what are the right. things that that we can agree to disagree about and yeah. still feel and still be able to live out um, the call of the gospel upon our lives? And when do we also need to say, this is actually intolerable. Like mm-hmm. racism is, should be intolerable in our congregations. Yep. Um, and that doesn't, and that doesn't have to be like, I'm going to burn everything down or like go preach this one sermon. Like we're all yep. given, you know, what we're given Right. But for ourselves. How do we begin the discernment process of saying we really have to be something, not just right. like people who just sort of like, like hold it together for an hour and then like glide it out and just, right. but like, how do we actually like be the body of Jesus in the world? Right. Um, and I hope that this book can 
give us some courage to actually do that discernment process and to trust that no matter what, no matter what the losses are, um, that God is faithful to the church in, in, spite, of ev- in spite of everything. Um, we don't need to hold it together. Jesus, <laughs> Jesus has already done the work. All we need to do is um, step faithfully into the thing that has already been given to us. That's awesome. Gosh, I want to ask follow-ups, but that's just too beautiful to (laughs) go any further. So I'm going to practice self-control. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. Well, there's nerdy theologians and then there's like hip ones. The hip ones wear panties. <laughs> so gross. What's Wait, hilarious is I'm seeing... probably gonna I'm probably gonna air that and it's gonna be completely out of context and people are just gonna be like that Hane is a pervert. <laughs> what brought that into this? So pumped. I also want to see Robbie Zachari- Robbie Zacharias too. Ouch! Did he try to make? Did a he move? try to show you his peepee? Me and see me and my sons. We we talk kind of vulgar about our private parts. It's just kind of flippant, you know. We just have fun and everything. So Priscilla has a chalkboard, and anytime there's a need in the house, grocery wise, like I'm, sex. Oh, yeah, okay. yeah. I'm actually going to be the one that orders the groceries and everything. But Priscilla tells people, "Hey, write it down here." I looked up, and we just had a bunch of people over yesterday, kind of like a big small group get together. I have no idea who saw this, but on the chalkboard it says no. a new penis. So you've got. You've got penne pasta, you've got (laughs) spaghetti sauce, bananas, a new penis, hot dog buns. (laughs) You know what I love about that? It's not vulgar at all. It's very cute. (laughs) That looks like something a kid wrote.